2 Timothy chapter 2. Father, we're so thankful for your word today. Thankful for the life of God. Thankful for your presence. Now give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. May the eyes of our understanding be enlightened today. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for truth that makes us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, today I want to finish a mini-series that we have been sharing with you uh, called Ready for Launch. We are, as a church, preparing for a major, major transition as far as facilities go and our move into a larger and bigger and better uh, place so we can reach more people. And so uh, what we realize is that we, in discussing many of the natural things over and over and discussing the finances and all that stuff, that that is only a part of how we must be ready and be prepared for what's coming up in just a few short months. Uh, And the Lord is helping us to see and recognize uh, the necessity of being prepared in other ways. All right. This message today is a little bit more of an in-house family message. All right. Everyone, I believe, can benefit from the word at all times. But if you're visiting with us today and uh, this is just a little bit different than normal and what we might normally discuss, yet very, very important at the same time. And we want to begin reading in Second Timothy, chapter two. Second Timothy, chapter two, in verse 19. It reads, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And so we can see from the word of God here in other places that whether or not a person is a vessel for honor or dishonor is not up to the Lord. It's not contingent upon their, their, their place in life as far as the advantages or disadvantages they came into the world with. It is really a choice that we make. You can be a vessel for honor. You individually can be a person that is ready for the Lord's use, prepared for every good work. But again, the Lord's not forcing this upon any of us and we can live as a piece of wood, (laughs) piece of clay. You know, we can be somewhat useful or, or, or we can be completely useful to the Lord in this life. That, again, is something that's up to us. We must make necessary preparations so that God can use us to the full like he wants to. Let me remind you again, this word prepared means to make ready. To make ready. It means to make necessary preparations. And so that's what we are seeking to do. Make necessary preparations, not only on the outside... But on the inside, and I say on the inside, inside of us each and every one of us individually, but also inside of our church corporately, are we ready to go? 
I don't know about you, but in, in one very real aspect of this whole big picture, I'm satisfied right now. In a very real sense, things are going well. Lives are being changed. People get saved every week. People get healed every week. And there's a lot of good things happening. Uh, in one real sense, my, you know, I don't need anything else. I mean, my family's good. And, uh, but then on the other side, there's a whole other side to this. I believe God has called us to reach many people. To make many disciples and, and this, this gospel to go out to many more ears. And so from that standpoint, I become dissatisfied with the current state of where things are, knowing we must push forward. We must advance. We must take more ground. And we must be ready for it. Amen. Everybody with me today? Okay. And so uh, in, in getting ready, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. And let me, let me remind you of something that I said before as we studied a portion of Scripture from Ephesians, that growth in our lives, both individually and in our church corporately, is not contingent solely upon us being in the Word and speaking the Word and having a prayer life. And of course, you know I would never diminish or minimize the value of those things. Those are tremendously important and absent in the lives of many people. However, the Bible also, everybody say also, also. gives us clear direction that growth for us individually and corporately is contingent upon us doing something in the body of Christ. That each one of us would serve one another, would minister. There would be a supply of the Spirit that flows from one to another. Okay? And many people in our camp, our circles of the Word and, and so forth, the Spirit-filled circles, we think, man, if I just pray in the Spirit, whew, if I just read the Word, if I speak to my mountain, that's it. That's pretty much everything. It's not. It's not. We cannot leave out this other component where we must be engaged in the body of Christ serving one another. There is something God put in you that He wants to use to minister to somebody else. This is key to us growing like we really want to. Again, individually and corporately. We're not going to grow up as a body, as a family. If we neglect these principles from the Word of God. Is anybody out there? Today? <laughs> Acts chapter 6. You know now this, this was taking place in the early church. Alright. There was people were getting saved by the thousands. And so instantly they had a lot of problems. <laughs> in the sense that whenever you got a large amount of people, there's going to be issues to deal with. And they were dealing with one of these right here in Acts 6. It says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. All right, so they obviously had some type of program ministering to widows in their situation, but 
Just like today, you know, one group rose up against another group and said, it's not fair and they're not taking care of us and our widows are getting neglected. And, and so uh, complaining has been going on for a long time, which doesn't make it okay. <laughs> but here, here's what they did. Verse 2, it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Notice what he said. It's not desirable that we do this. In other words, for the apostles to serve tables and be in the Word couldn't both happen. Okay? Talking about the natural... um, aspect of carrying out that, that ministry, he said, we can't do both of them. And it's not desirable that we stop being in the Word and take over this and, 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 and govern and, and carry this mission out. All right. Now, who's the twelve? Are, that was the answer to my question. <laughs> who's the we being spoken of here? Okay. <laughs> How many understand in the very early days of the church, there were not pastors, there were not evangelists, there were not teachers, there were not uh, uh, prophets other than the twelve apostles. Because even though people were being saved right from the very beginning, you know, first had the 120 in the upper room there and then... You know, 3,000 got saved that day and 5,000 got saved a little bit later. And uh, people are getting saved. But how many know you don't step from one point into a relationship with God and the very next day you're in the fullness of your calling? Those things take time to develop. People have to grow and mature and, uh, and, and so forth. So no doubt God was calling people and he had put gifts and potential within people to become those ministry gifts. But in the early days, the leadership of the church basically consisted of the apostles. All right. And so that's who he's talking about here. Who should not leave the word of God to do these other things? It was the spiritual leaders. It was the ministry leaders of the church in, in, in their day. OK. And so uh, he goes on to say, uh, verse what? Three. Therefore, verse three, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, that's a very interesting uh, statement that they made. How many think all believers should have a prayer life? You think that's... Think every, I believe all Christians should have a prayer life. How many think all Christians should be in the Word? We should, all of us need to understand the revelation of God and who He is and His will and His plan. We should all have, have the Word of God planted into our hearts. These are true for all. But if that's true for every believer, wouldn't it make sense that those who were in the leadership, the spiritual leadership of the church, should have that even more? That they should make that even a greater priority in their life? And that's exactly what he's communicating here. He said, this would, this would not be good for us to leave this to do these other things. He said, we need to appoint people so we can get more people involved in this so that we, as the spiritual leaders, can give ourselves continually to the word and prayer. 
I don't think most of us realize how important and how valuable and necessary that really is. Because the reality is, in life, it's hard for me to put any kind of percentage on it. I'll just say a lot of spiritual leaders do not spend very much time in the Word and prayer. And that might be shocking to some, but it's, it's really the truth. And one of the reasons for that is, it's not because everyone's a bad person or doesn't, they don't love God. One of the reasons is because they don't follow this simple principle right here. And so that part of their life and ministry gets neglected, which causes things just to go downhill from a spiritual uh, quantity and substance level. And things just become shallow and people don't know the will of God. So they turn to natural answers. They're guessing at church programs and what am I to do in life? I'll just, you know, look out there and see what's available. And it's all naturally based and it's not supposed to be. If a person has a has a sufficient relationship with God in the word and prayer, they're going to know when God is directing their steps and what they're supposed to do. I mean, think about it. Why would God be any different than that? Why would he withhold these things? And so it's interesting to see as well what the scriptures didn't say. He didn't say, you know, you guys take care of this so that we can give ourselves continually to visitation and counseling. Because, you know, that's what ministers are supposed to do, right? That, that's their main, the main call is to visit with people and to counsel people in their struggles. Is that what the Bible said? That's not what it said. Now, now, counsel is a biblical word. You know, we're not opposed to that. But I'm just saying, that's not what it said there. He didn't say, we need to get rid of all this other stuff so we can start visiting people regularly and, and counseling with people. And, and that, that's what we're supposed to take our time doing. That's... What leaders do, that's what pastors and stuff do, right? No. Not biblically. It's been interesting to me to notice just by observation over the years, and you could probably ask the same question to many pastors, and they'd give you a similar response. But, and don't take this as harsh or anything like that. I don't mean it to be any, even a corrective nature, but... Uh, Those that need the most individual attention on an ongoing basis are typically those who don't go to church very much, those who don't tithe, those who don't serve. They have, again, they have the most problems in their life. Now, don't don't condemn yourself. I got a problem and I do that. You know. You know, we're not, we're not making an all-inclusive statement. I'm just saying by observation, and you can talk to other pastors, and they'll tell you the same thing. Right. Yep. And sometimes people, they just, well, I just receive better like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not God's plan, though. That's right. That's right. It's not His primary way of people receiving help. And it's interesting. I don't think it's coincidence that that's the situation. I know one of the issues that we have in our country... One of the big problems in government is the welfare program. That is true. You, you know that it's a problem? Why do, I, why do I mean it's a problem? Because there's huge, massive waste in that, in that program. And one reason is, is, is it's so large, it's so massive, that it's hard to control. And 
you probably know people or maybe you have been one of the people, uh, not asking for hands or anything, but I know those who have totally abused that system. And they'll, te- they'll say, yeah, if I just do this and if I do this, then I can get a little bit more money. Right. And I can do this and I can do this. If I do this, I don't have to work. I can just get more money here. There are, that, is, that is happening a lot. And it's one of the big problems. Now, my, my point here is not to just focus on that, but by illustration, this is where a church family can step in and avoid a lot of the same issues. You know... When a church is several hundred people and gets up to several thousand, which is where we're going, uh, it's really impossible for a few or a handful of spiritual leaders to know everybody. And the same thing can happen as happens in the welfare system. In other words, there's great value when there is ministry amongst the body. When people can't pull the wool over your eyes and say this, this, and this when it's not true. Do you realize that sometimes people lie to pastors? I don't know if you... I don't know if... Because I know most of you are pure hearted and you think, well, I would never do that. And I believe that. But there are people that will. Hmm. There are people that will... You know, it's all about trying to get out of you what they want. I've been cussed out and chewed out and everything over the phone when I gave an answer that someone didn't like. Because I refused to just be a building, you know, and be a church, you know, and tell people the truth sometimes. Well, all the time. But sometimes the truth isn't fun. Right. And uh, and anyway, when people try to manipulate you a certain way and you just say, well, no, that's not going to happen. Then all of a sudden the scripture quoting stops. And out comes French. <laughs> and, and, oh, you're, you're different than I thought you were. <laughs> but people oftentimes will do whatever they want. You know, even in a, in a one-on-one type of ministry, you know, sometimes a, a man will come and start saying all the lousy things his wife is doing. And how she's this, this, and this. And she doesn't do this, this, and this. And, and you know, my... Uh, my leaning and my natural reaction is I don't I don't accuse people of lying or assume that they're not telling me the truth or being honest with me. But it sure sounds like you know you're married to the wicked witch of the West, and you know. Uh, but how many know? Frequently, there's one one person's side of the story. There's another person's side of the story, and then there's the truth. <laughs> And, uh, and so you always have to deal with that. But here's what can happen. When, when another person who knows them is also doing the ministry to them and with them and for them, um, they can't get away with a lot of baloney. Yeah. See, when it's so massive and no one is known, then people le- conveniently leave out all kinds of details. I don't e- and I don't even know why my life is going like this. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> So many times they know exactly why it's going like that. It's because of the stupid... Can I say this? (laughs) The stupid things they're doing. But they won't tell anyone that doesn't know them how how they're acting. But when someone is in closer proximity and relationship, they can just bring it up. Say, you know what? I'm your neighbor. I heard you yelling at your wife last night. It's not all her. I got a feeling it's partly you. That kind of ruins it, doesn't it? 
There is value, and it's really God's plan that we minister one to another, and there are really things happen better that way. Things improve, things increase. When the body ministers to each other, there's less deception and nonsense. Sometimes you need someone in your life who won't let you get away with some type of pretense. And someone who will look you in the eye and say, dude, you just need to get in church more. <laughs> you know what? You need to get in there and serve. You know, this is a, more of a difficult thing for me to say, because if I say this to an individual, it would come off wrong. It would come off self-serving or something. But someone, a friend who will get in your face and say, when you're having financial trouble, say, are you even tithing? You know, and someone might accuse me of an ulterior motive or something, but that's why the body should minister to each other. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> For those three hearty grunts. <laughs> Let me read something to you that I came across years ago called the ideal pastor. Anybody ready? The ideal pastor is difficult to find. But if your church is fortunate, you may be able to secure his services. Since he is the ideal pastor, it won't cost very much. He lives by faith. Yet he can be counted upon to give heavily and still be able to afford a large house in which he will regularly entertain the entire congregation. He loves the older folks of the church, visiting them regularly. Besides this, he spends all of his time with the young people. The glow on his face reveals his secret. He's spent many hours on his knees before God. However, he's always available to anyone who drops by for a friendly chat. What's a half hour out of his schedule since he only works on Sunday anyway? <laughs> the ideal pastor loves to disciple new converts and gives full-time attention to calling on the elderly, ill, and shut-in. He has a model family is always in the church office when you call, and is busy at the hospital just looking for a soul to comfort. He would never miss a church function and attends every function sponsored by the Ministerial Association. In addition, he meets all his neighbors and civic leaders within the community and wins their hearts too. The ideal pastor has a worldwide ministry through television, radio, CDs, and books, and he travels extensively preaching the word. He still has time, however, to listen to everyone's problems and, and wants to be updated on the progress of your bunions and backaches. The ideal pastor is only 29 and has been preaching 30 years. He preaches sermons that win the hearts of the lost and inspire the minds of the mature. Uh, he produces miracles like Smith Wigglesworth, teaches faith like Kenneth Hagin, evangelizes like Billy Graham, has the eloquence of Spurgeon and the fervor of Moody. Yet he is so profoundly simple that even the preschoolers are blessed. Teenagers take notes on his sermons. <laughs> the ideal pastor comprehends the complexity of church finances, has mastery of church budget, and never talks about money. He is, he is a strong believer in holiness and church discipline and never speaks a stern word to anyone. The ideal pastor is tall, short, lean, and husky with brown hair and blonde hair. He has a deep, resonant voice which, because it is quietly loud, pleases everyone and is 
is audible to the heart of hearing. He can sing, lead music, lead music, and delegates authority to everyone. Beside this, he helps each layman and does all the things other people are too busy to do. In short, he keeps the entire church and each family running smoothly. You are probably sure by now that you don't have the ideal pastor. Take heart. You can easily reshape your present pastor. He should listen to what you say. After all, he is God's servant. On the other hand, if you happen to have the ideal pastor, just wait a little while and you won't. He'll be confined to a room at the hospital. It goes on to say there is an alternative. Love the pastor you do have and pray for him. You prayed, God answered, and now you have him. At least until he finds the ideal church full of ideal church members. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 to you. 1 Peter 4.10 As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice the language. Who has received a gift? The Bible says, what? Each. each one. Or we could say everyone, but each one in particular has received a gift. What are they to do with that gift? They are to uh, minister it to one another. This is a biblical pattern for a church and for ministry to take place, is that each one ministers to each other. Not a select few, a handful of individuals where that God has especially called, they do the ministering, and everyone else is ministered to. Everyone else is, is receiving ministry. That's not really God's plan. But everyone would be able to minister, and in fact, God has graced people. He has put a gift in people's lives to that end. So if, if everyone is not in some way ministering to others, they have a neglected gift. They have an unused grace in their life. What a tragedy that is. The most fulfillment comes in life when we are using what we've been given and granted by God. When that thing is in use, oh, it feels good. Oh, it's nice. Someone said, do you like to do, you like to do what you do? Do you like to be a pastor? Other than on a few days? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. There's something on the inside of me that says, I must. I have to do this. And as I speak and as I minister and lead a church, there's something very satisfying. It's because what I'm, it's what I'm called to do. It really is. And, and, and likewise, that's true with every person in the family of God. There's something they are designed and intended to do. Now, we're back in Acts chapter 6. We left off in verse 4. Notice verse 5. Acts 6, 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. Now, is that a sign of God doing something right there? I mean, think about that. The saying pleased the whole multitude. I think that's, this is the last record of that ever happening. <laughs> Except for today, right? Right? We have it? it well, I believe if this is the will and plan of God for them, and they were all pleased with the solution and with the outcome of this, we really ought to have the same mindset today like, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. That's how it's supposed to work. 
That's how these things are supposed to operate in our, in our church here. Okay, he said it pleased the whole multitude. And so they chose Stephen, a man of faith and and some other folks. And it says in verse six, whom they set before the apostles. And when they prayed, they laid hands on them. Notice verse seven. Then when then when's then then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied. Greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. A bunch of priests got saved as a result of this. Think about what's happening here. This is the biblical pattern that we've shown to you before, but it's consistent all the way to the beginning of the church. When ministry was spread out, things exploded. Then the word of God spread. How many, Again, let me focus on then. He didn't change subjects here. This was in connection with what was previously said. So he's not saying, okay, new subject here. Now, separate this from everything else I've said. By the way, the word of God spread. And the number of disciples multiplied. And we just sit back and go, wow, that was great. How'd they do that? Man, it's a mystery. I guess it's just all up to God. If God wants the word to spread and the number of disciples to multiply, then he'll send a revival. Then it'll happen. No, we're not supposed to think like that. We're supposed to see how it happened. We're supposed to see how the word of God spread and why the number of disciples multiplied. It is because ministry got spread out. And it wasn't just a handful of people doing all the ministry, but everyone started getting getting involved. Likewise, that's the way it is today. Amen. Growth comes by leaders being in the word and prayer and... Others getting involved in natural aspects of ministry. Either one of those things can't be left out. I can't come away from this and say, well, the apostles, they stopped doing it and they started, they took up golf six days a week. And the other people, no, I can't say that's going to make this thing work. When the leaders spend a, a, a focus and a good bit of time in the word and prayer and others pick up the ministry, then the word of God goes out. Bam! Then disciples are multiplied. How simple is that? What that shows me is that it's really possible for any of us to be a hindrance by being idle. And I know this is kind of a strong word, but this is family house, house talk, right? right? Okay. It is possible that my idleness is actually a hindrance to the word of God spreading And the number of disciples multiplying. So we can either be a help or a hindrance. Go to Ephesians 4. Can you take any more? Is anybody still breathing? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start to finish things up over here. But look in verse 11. It says, And he himself, that's Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Those are called the fivefold ministry gifts. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Notice why God put His Spirit upon, put His gifts within, certain people within the kingdom of God. He did it so they would equip... Believers, the saints, 
for the work of ministry. It was not, he didn't call them so that they would do all the ministry. He called them so they would equip others to do the ministry. All right. The mindset of I'm just coming to get my needs met and to get my daily meal or my weekly meal uh, uh, in church is wrong. It's wrong. The mindset ought to be I'm coming to be equipped so I'll be more effective in ministering because that's what God has called me to do. It's true for every single one of us. Okay, so think about it now. Just to remove maybe some traditional mindsets, the way we thought things were supposed to be. Uh, if someone needs prayer, who should do that? Huh? It's pretty weak, but it's the right answer. <laughs> if, if someone um, needs ministered to in some way, they need help, who should minister and help them? Yeah. What, 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 what if someone's in the hospital? Who, who should go visit them? Well, no, certainly not. I mean, that's a pastor's job. Well, what if someone needs counsel? Who should counsel with them and encourage them and help them? And that was a little weaker again now. Well, that's definitely a pastor thing. Hmm. Say, well, don't you want to do any of that stuff? <laughs> Listen, I will, I have, and will continue to do many of these things. I pray for people all the time in services and out of services and, and, and visit people when, that, when, that, when that's the right thing to do. But the reality of life and ministry is, is that I'm not supposed to do all of it, nor am I capable of doing all of it. And if I do, guess what goes out the window? Two things. The Word and prayer. You know what that does? Ruins our services. <laughs> you ever been to a dead service? Oh, yeah. 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 Last night I said that people came out of their shell. They're like, yeah, they were they were touched by it. <laughs> I mean, it, it was quite a dramatic experience in some people's lives having been to church and it was dead. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen here. How can I keep it from happening? Well, for, for me, I must prioritize. And make sure I can stay in the Word and prayer. But that's not the only part of the equation. You know what the other part is? Our church as a whole must be actively engaged in serving the rest of the body. Must be serving the Lord by serving each other. And that's got to be in place. And we have to have the kit out of the mindset of, well, only a few select people are qualified or authorized or have the ability to minister and, and help other people. That's not the case. You know, I've had people call me before. They were, they were, uh, about, they were sharing the gospel with a friend of theirs and, and they got close and so they, they kind of freaked a little bit and they called me because they wanted me to wrap it up. <laughs> you know, can you lead this person to the Lord? And I understand. I mean, they didn't want to blow it. It's kind of really important. And they were obviously new at it. But that's really not the best scenario. The best way is come to church. And you'll hear me give an altar call every week. You'll know how to present the gospel. If no other way, you'll know how to give mine. 
right? <laughs> and, uh, and to pray a prayer to lead someone to the Lord, that would be the best way, you know. And to think, well, if someone's sick, we have to call a pastor. Well, who says? Don't you have hands? Yeah. Aren't you a believer? Yeah. Then put your hands on them and believe God. Yeah. Come on, Jesus said, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Well, what about you? I'm going to do that. I, I, I need to be led. I need to be led of the Spirit and, and, and hear from God as to where I should put my energy and time. And, and, and all that's going to continue. Huh? My interest, my interest is not to cease doing ministry, but increase it. But it can only increase to the degree that we as a church fulfill our role in taking up what we're supposed to do. Well, certainly I couldn't go to the hospital and visit someone. Who says? So that's a pastor's job. What verse is that? What verse did you get that out of? I hope this is coming across in the right way here today. Uh, But we are all made to fulfill certain functions. And none of us can do it all. No one is gifted to do everything. And uh, we all uh, have our part to play. And there have been many expectations placed upon churches, upon pastors and various ones to do things that are really not in their calling, in the, in, in, biblically in their calling, but their primary, I mean, all of it can be, but their primary function is to equip others to do it, is to show others. And, and here's a verse in Philippians 4, you don't need to turn there, verse 9, Paul said here, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice what Paul said. He didn't say, the things you heard and uh, you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Uh, tell me, way to go. Good job, Paul. Give me a pat on the back or applaud me. He said, man, you, you are the man. It is all over you. You are so called to do this. <laughs> no, he said, if you saw me do it, if you heard me teach it, you heard me talk about it, you do that. That's, again, the biblical pattern that we should be equipped to do. To put things into motion, put things into action. Amen. Amen. That's why I'm not called to, I don't think I'm qualified to counsel with someone. Well, what, what does that mean? I mean, people have elevated it as like, ooh, that's the superior thing and no one else can do that except for a few select people in the world. They can counsel. All it is, in its basics, are, it is sharing the word of God with people, letting them know what the, helping them to see what the Bible says about their situation. You know, and if something is really out of, out of your league as far as why you overcome, then you seek help with others. Okay, but so many things can be dealt with on a better, more effective level when someone you know and someone who's going through it with you can be there with you to help. Praise God. Amen. And ultimately, the goal for all of us is, you know, most of our life is on the ministering end instead of the instead of on the receiving end. Anyway, we get healthy, we get strong, we walk with the Lord. And I, I, I think this what we're talking about here is really about our church growing up. It's not just about hearing the word and speaking a few scriptures out loud. It is about doing something with what we've got. It is about serving. Amen. Is anybody with me today? Does the whole multitude agree? This, this, <laughs> I, I pray that's the case. 
and that we can increase our effectiveness in ministry and let the the number of disciples be multiplied because it's not just about the better and bigger building. I mean, there's going to be some natural aspect that will draw some lookers. But what are we going to do when they come in the door? If we don't have the substance and the internal workings to minister to people, then it's all going to be a short-term relationship. We want to change lives. I can do my part and I will do my part. And I will pray and seek God as to know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Will will, will you do your part as well? Will you step up and, and let the grace of God flow through you into someone else's life? Amen. I believe, I believe that you will. Praise God. Father, we're so thankful today for your word. Thankful for the truth. Thankful for your, your spirit that works in us, works among us, and works through us. Lord, we are the body of Christ and members in particular. And thank you that you've placed each one of us in the body as it pleases you. As it pleases you. And Father, I, I, I thank you that now there is a divine ability. There is the grace of God that works in us, that works through us to the end where the body of Christ is strengthened, where the word of God is spread and the number of disciples are multiplied. You are working this in us here today. And I thank you for the fruit that will abound and the fruit that will remain in our lives and in the kingdom of God forever as a result of this. Father, we purpose to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We purpose to act on what you've given us. And we thank you for the corresponding results that come from uh, this obedience of faith. We thank you for working in our hearts today, working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.